Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. If you have an Android, just leave it in your pocket. Can't have you disturbing our airwaves in here. Um, my name's Noah Heron, and uh, I live about 45 minutes away. My wife and I, uh, we are full-time evangelists, which is uh, a little bit of an older school word. Some of you in the room will recognize. Basically, we just travel and we preach the gospel all over the country. Um, it, it's a huge honor for us. We're pretty much in a different church every week. When we are not traveling, we serve at a church called Neighborhood Church, about 45 minutes from here, that my dad pastors. And so we're greeters at the door, so I have a soft spot for the greeters that are out here because I aspire to be like you. Um, I get my coffee, I get there early. Uh, anybody like, you, you're really tired on Sunday mornings, but you take one sip of coffee and you immediately become an instrument of speed and aerodynamics. Anyone else? That is me. Uh, so that's what we do. And last time I was here was in September. I, I spoke for Pastor Brian in September. And at the time, my wife was really pregnant. Uh, she was 38 weeks pregnant that Sunday. So I was preaching with my phone up here just in case I got the call. Uh, we have a baby here now, and I think we have a photo of him. Come on. That's a cute kid. I told my wife, I was like, they don't all come out cute. So when we have this baby, I'm not going to lie about it. Like, if he looks like an alien, I'm just going to call him an alien. Like, he'll grow out of it, Lord willing. But he came out cute. Uh, that's Lion James Heron. And let me tell you right now, 3 o'clock in the morning, my boy is roaring, okay? <laughs> he is roaring. So if I look tired, I am. <laughs> um, and then we have a photo of the three of us. This is my wife, Maddie. Uh, this is our son, Lion, and me. This was yesterday. We were, we were speaking at uh, my alma mater, Lee University, which is uh, in Cleveland, Tennessee, a couple hours away. And so we took that picture yesterday. I am blessed. And um, I'm just so encouraged to be here. I want to say it again. Uh, this church, such an encouragement to me. I was looking around the room during worship, and it is multi-generational. Um, it is a diverse church. I, I'm just blown away by how good God is and how much he's moving in your house. And just as an outsider, I just want to uh, be an encouragement to you that you're a part of something really special here at local church. And I hope that you don't take it for granted um, and that you just keep on coming, keep on serving. What God is doing here is special. Can we just make some noise if we believe that one time? Okay, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3 uh, we're going to be in verse 12. This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have read it. And uh, as you go to verse 12, I just want one final announcement. Right after service, uh, I'm going to be in the lobby. I wrote a book called Viral Jesus. And uh, in a world that's trying to grow a following, I wrote a book on how to follow someone who uh, leads to a better life. And so uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. I'll be in the lobby. Even if you don't want a book, I'd love to just say hey. Several of you um, got one last time I was here, and uh, you're helping pay for our diapers. So I thank you for that. Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. 
And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all the kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is bold right here. This is like, this is the throwdown, the mic drop. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. That's where we're going to pause. And uh, if you're taking notes, I love note takers. Note takers, they get to eat first in heaven. That's what I believe. And so uh, you're going to want to take notes today. The title of my message is The Missing Ingredient. The Missing Ingredient. Will you pray with me one more time? Lord, thank you so much for these moments. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and it is active and that it is going to speak to us today. We love you so much. We thank you for Chick-fil-A. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Do we have anybody who likes to cook? Can I see your hands? Okay. Bunch of Rachel Rays in here. Some emeralds. Okay. Um, Anybody, uh, you would say, if it was up to me, I would prefer to never cook another meal in my life. In fact, I would prefer to never cook another meal and just eat meals for the rest of my life. You are my people. Okay. You are my people. Uh, The best way to describe what gets cooked in uh, my wife and I's house is to just say we're on a journey. (laughs) We're we're on a journey. Uh, We're on a journey, except it's kind of like a journey where we're blindfolded and we were handed nunchucks. It's like no one really knows where we're going and we're probably going to hurt somebody. Uh, We're not the best cooks. We never have been. In fact, the first meal that my wife ever cooked for us. Uh, we had just gotten married. We came back from the honeymoon, and she said, hey, babe, I got dinner tonight. And I was like, really? Okay. And she's like, don't worry about it. I got it. I'm like, okay. All right. I trust you. And so my wife, she went to the kitchen. She got out the crock pot. She turned it up like, I mean, it was hot. It was like, it's hot. It was really hot. Like, I was getting like a suntan in the living room. It was like that hot. And she took some raw chicken, true story, and she just threw it in the crock pot. There was no sauce. There was no water. It was just like the hottest crock pot you've ever seen and raw chicken. Uh, She thought it worked like an easy bake oven. Like you just throw the chicken in there and boom, chicken nuggets. Like that's just what she thought. Uh, Some of you are laughing. Some of you, you've never cooked. And so you're just like, what's the big deal? And uh, I encourage you to try that for lunch today. Um, Needless to say, we had Pizza Hut for dinner. And uh, the fire department was warned that we had just moved into town. It was bad. Um, My father-in-law, he has this saying, he says, if you can read, you can cook. And so I've come to the conclusion that our problem is we just can't read. (laughs) Um, So there have been times in our cooking journey where we've used a cookbook, where we've had the recipe in front of us, we've had the directions in front of us, we've even had the list of ingredients with, with like all of the things that we need to make the dish, and yet 
30 minutes later, 45 minutes later, when the dish is ready and we compare it to the picture on the cookbook, we're like, this is a lie. <laughs> like, to quote the great theologian Elf, we're like, you sit on a throne of lies to the cookbook, right? Have you ever, you ever used a cookbook and this happened to you? The, the dish didn't match the picture? Am I the only one? Um, I'm convinced that cookbooks include pictures just to mess with us. Like, like, they're just playing with us. The author of the cookbook really just wants to get our hopes up. But um, I, I was thinking about cooking, and, and I was thinking about cookbooks specifically, and I thought, you know, that's really a picture of what the Christian life is a lot of the time. We have the picture of where we want to be. We have the hope of a better future. But when we look at what's in front of us, when we look at the dish that we've been cooking in the kitchen, if we're honest, it doesn't really match the picture that we had for our lives. It, we, we've got the hope, but we don't have the reality. We've, we've got the plans for a future, but we don't really know what the next step is. We don't really know where we've messed up to get this dish in front of us. Right? We, we got married, and we had the picture of the marriage, and, and we had the picture of the husband, and uh, we got married, and he had a 12-pack, and, and then uh, a few years went by and a few kids, and, and it's like the picture doesn't match uh, what I thought it was going to. Don't nudge your husband, okay? This is the time, ladies, just look at me and, and don't say amen, okay? Um, maybe you got into your career field, and at the beginning, you had a picture of what the job was going to look like. You had the hope of what the career was going to look like, and this morning, the dish that's in front of you just doesn't match the picture, Maybe you had kids, and you were like, these kids, they're going to be arrows that I shoot out into the world. They're going to not cry in church. They're going to make their bed. They're going to have good grades. And uh, today, you're like, it doesn't really feel like an arrow. It kind of feels like a thorn, and I need prayer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Um, what happens when the dish doesn't match the picture? This is exactly the situation in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if you know this, but the only thing that these three Jewish teenagers did to deserve to be thrown into a fiery furnace is they just refused to bow to a fake God, right? Like, like their reward for being faithful was to be thrown into a popcorn machine, right? Like, I, I cannot imagine that as they're standing there looking at the fire, that they were just like, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen, right? Like, like, this is exactly the picture that I had for my life. What happens when the dish doesn't match the picture? Growing up, um, I had a mom who, uh, who could really throw down in the kitchen. Anyone thankful for a mom that can cook? I'm thankful for a mom that can cook. And um, I started to notice that the kitchen was really dirty most of the time when, when she'd be cooking. I'd walk in there, and there'd be like 27 different types of herbs and spices and, and pans and pots and contraptions that I have no idea to this day what they do. And over time, like when I, when I was in high school, I started to notice this correlation that the dirtier the kitchen, the messier the kitchen during the cooking, the better the food was during the eating. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, if I walked into the kitchen and I could see the countertops and it looked tidy and, and there was not a mess, I was like, you know, tonight's going to be good, but it could be better. 
right? Like, like it's going to be good because my mom's a good cook, but, but it's not going to be as good as it could be. But there would be other nights I would walk into the kitchen and my mom had marinara sauce painted like war paint right here. And, and there was like flour all over the kitchen and it was just a complete mess. And I knew that on those nights it was going down. You want to know how you can tell that God is doing something in your life? Because it looks like a mess. You want to know how God is up to a greater work in your life? Because it sometimes feels like it's not going to plan. In fact, I want to start this message off by encouraging you that just because your life looks like a mess does not mean that God has forgotten how to cook. If God is cooking it, you can count on it being good. If God brought you to it, you can count on him seeing you through it. If God is in the middle of it, it's going to be better than you could ask, think, or imagine because what the enemy intends for evil, God is working together for your good. In fact, this morning, we should rejoice because our hope is not in the picture-perfect life. Our hope is in the person who lived a perfect life and died for our sins. His name is Jesus. He is my salvation. He is my rock. He is my present help in time of need. And I know that he is working in the middle of messes. How do I know? Because he is working in me. Because he's working in me. So I have a question for you this morning. It's a theological one. Can you smell what the Lord is cooking? If you didn't laugh when I said that, I want you to go on YouTube and search, can you smell what the rock is cooking after service and be blessed. I have three points for you this morning. Number one, you got to check the ingredients. You got to check the ingredients. Do not be surprised when your life tastes like the ingredients that you put in. We cannot put in the ingredient of isolation and expect the dish of community. Oh, I just wish I had closer friends. And as a pastor, I just want to be like, I just wish you would join a small group. I just wish you would start serving at local church and get around this incredible community of people. We cannot put the ingredient of complaining in our dish and expect to have the dish of joy. Because complaining is not an ingredient for joy. We, we cannot put in the ingredient of flakiness and expect to have a dish, to expect to have a life of fruitfulness. Because if God can't trust you with a little bit, he won't be able to trust you with a lot of it. Your life will taste like the ingredients that you put in the dish. Here's another way to put it. When the pressure gets turned up, it's the real you that comes out. When the pandemic hit, it's the real you that came out. When the finances start to crumble, it's going to be the real you that comes out. When life gets the hottest, your ingredients start to show. When the pressure turns up, that's when the real you comes out. Can I tell you what I think our world needs more than any other thing? I think our world needs not better pastors, not better communicators, not better worship teams. I think what our world is desperate for is for believers to be in the middle of a dark, hurting world. And when the pressure is at an all-time high, 
What comes out of us is love. What comes out of us is our prayer closet. What comes out of us is the stuff that no one sees behind the scenes. In a disunified world, unity comes out. In a world that's running in fear, peace comes out. In a world that cannot seem to get along with anybody for the life of us, it's love that comes out. When everybody smells like smoke, we smell like the presence of God. Because it's the ingredient that we've been putting in our dish. Somebody say, check the ingredients. Okay, one person said it. Check the ingredients. Uh, you know, we have a five-month-old, and um, he's been the, the greatest blessing outside of my wife uh, and Jesus to my life. And um, it, was, it was crazy uh, when we had the baby, we were expecting to pay about $2,000 out of pocket that our insurance wouldn't cover. It's a long story, but um, my wife had some pretty severe complications in the hospital. We were there for uh, about a week, and um, it just was, it got kind of hairy, and, and, and Lion, thank the Lord, is healthy, and Maddie's healthy, but uh, about a month after we left the hospital, we got our bill, and instead of $2,000, it was $15,000. And as you can imagine, uh, even coffee didn't fix that day for me. And so, uh, but here's the thing. It ruins my week. I mean, it, it was like normally the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm like a Chick-fil-A worker. I'm just happy and smiling, and it's my pleasure. But um, it didn't, it, that really messed with me. And um, a couple days into it, my wife had to give me a pep talk, and she had to remind me that we serve a faithful God, that we serve a God who works in the fire, who, who is doing things behind the scenes even when we don't. And um, she sat me down and she said, Noah, why are you so upset? And I said, what do you mean? I said, why are you not upset? I was like, we're eating rice and beans for five years, you know, like, like this is what's, what's happening. And, uh, and she had to sit me down because what came out of her when life got turned up was what she'd been sewing in the prayer closet every morning at 7 o'clock. What, what came out of her were th was the ingredients of, I believe that God actually is who he says he is. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't be a Noah, be a Maddie. Don't be a Noah, be a Maddie. When the pressure turns up, this is a good, a good test for you. The next time something doesn't go your way, what is your knee-jerk reaction? Because if it doesn't cause you to run towards Jesus, maybe it's time to check the ingredients. Now, what happens if you're here this morning and you're like, Pastor Noah, my life is a mess and I've got the right ingredients. What happens if you've been faithful? What happens if you don't miss a tithe check? What happens if you pray every morning? What happens if you're in the word? What happens if you serve at local church? What happens if you're trying to just do your best at work and do the best in your family and your life is still falling apart? What happens if you have the right ingredients and you find yourself in the situation Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in? I want to suggest to you that maybe you're just missing one ingredient. The ingredient that you're missing is heat and time. Heat and time. And this is where the message gets really encouraging because some of you in here, you're in a fire, you're in a tough season of life, and you were hoping that a pastor would get on stage and encourage you to get out. And I feel like God gave me a word for somebody to tell you to stay in. What turns dough into cookies is heat and time. What turns dough into cookies is this little word, 
called perseverance. James 1, verse 2 through 4, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. My second point is you need some heat and some time. Has anyone ever been baking cookies? And um, this just happened to me the other night. I was baking cookies, and I was so ready for the cookies. I had like a little paper towel tucked into my shirt right here, and I had my pajamas on, and we already had the movie on that we were going to watch, and, and I'm ready, and I I'm, I'm keep looking at the cookies and the timer. It didn't say that they were ready, but they looked ready on the outside, so I grabbed my little, uh, my little oven mitt, pull the cookies out, boom, throw them on a plate, go over. I'm sitting down, got my Snuggie, my wife, the Netflix movie, and, and here's my, my cookies. I take a bite, and immediately I knew I took them out of the oven too soon. Has this ever happened to you? Like I took a bite and it wasn't just like they were gooey. It was like they were cold. I was like, oh man, I'm going to be in the hospital. Right? Like this is what, this is what happened to me. And um, what, what the, basically on the outside, the cookies looked a little brown and they looked, they looked done. But on the inside, they were still gooey. And I think a lot of times God chooses to leave, to leave us in our fires, to leave us in difficult seasons of life. Because our outside looks ready, but our inside is not ready. And there's nothing that gets the inside ready quicker and better than a fire. And maybe you're here and you're single. And on the outside, you're like, I am ready for marriage. And I, I, I'm on eHarmony. I'm on Christian Mingle. I'm on Farmers Only. I'm on all of them. <laughs> and on the outside, you're ready. But on the inside, you're not ready. Because on the outside, you really want to be married, but your motive is that you're lonely and you don't want to be lonely anymore. So you're ready to sleep next to somebody, but you're not ready to serve next to somebody yet. And so the motive is off. And so God might be letting you stay single for a little while so that he can get the inside to match the outside. And maybe you're here and you just really wish you had a better paying job. You can say amen. You can shout right there. It's okay. I just wish I had a better paying job. And maybe on the outside, you look ready for the better paying job. You've been doing everything you can at work to do a good job. You're being faithful with, with what God's trusted you with. You're showing up early. Maybe you're staying late. But on the inside, you're not ready for the better paying job yet. You haven't started tithing off of the lower income. And God's just waiting to be able to trust your heart to see that if he gives you more money, Money's not going to have you. You're going to have money. And he's waiting for the inside to match the outside. See, God cares way more about your inside than he does about your outside. And a lot of times he will leave us in fires. He will leave us in seasons, not because he's a bad God and doesn't care about you, but because he cares so much about you that he doesn't want your outside to outpace your inside. And so we should rejoice, as James says, when we face trials of many kinds, because it means that our character, that our souls, that our hearts are becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. I want to read you the end of this story, verse 21. This is what it says. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot 
that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. My third point is that the missing ingredient to your life is Jesus. The missing ingredient to your life is Jesus. I, I've, always been, um, I've always been fascinated. Like, I can't help it. When I read the Bible, I picture it like a Netflix show. It's just a millennial, it's a problem. And, um, and I, I always think that as communicators, uh, sometimes we do a bad job of articulating how crazy it would have been to be alive when Jesus was alive as a human. Um, like, this would have just been crazy. Like, imagine the guy that built your kitchen table just started walking around your neighborhood and started telling people he was God. Right? Like, like the guy down at the hardware store that built your kitchen table, it wasn't as good as the one at Restoration Hardware. It wasn't as bad as the one that you saw at Lowe's. It was somewhere in the middle. That guy was just like, hey, I'm God. Right? Like, this is, this is kind of crazy. Like we, like, we give people who didn't believe Jesus a bad rap, but it's like, he built kitchen tables for 30 years, you know, like, like and then he just was like, I'm God. Like, this is crazy. Um, I've always been fascinated at the, at the perception that people had of Jesus. And uh, anyone ever seen the show The Chosen? I think they do a really good job. If you haven't seen it, you should check out the show. It's, it's an amazing show on the life of Jesus. And I think they do a really good job of, of accurately depicting um, what this would have been like. And one of the things, one of the views of Jesus that I've always found really interesting is that the people of his day, they did not see Jesus, many of them did not see Jesus as God. They saw him as a revolutionist. They saw him kind of like what we would see as like a homegrown terrorist, right? Like this is, this is literally how they looked at Jesus. They were like, man, we see the way he can talk to crowds. Look at the way that this, these massive groups of people are hanging on every word that he says. He's, he's a great public speaker. He, he knows how to get people to, to do things. Look at the way people are literally selling their possessions and following him. And by the end of his life, there were so many people who bought into this view of Jesus that he was there to disrupt power. He was there to, to literally just cause havoc on society as they knew it, that an entire crowd of people chanted crucify him because they believed into that viewpoint of Jesus. These Pharisees, these religious scholars, they laid awake at night and they thought about Jesus as a threat. They thought he was there to burn their power. They thought he was there to burn their religious systems. They thought he was there to burn their churches. They thought he was there to burn their armies. And the sad tragedy is that they thought he was there to burn down their lives when the reality was he was there to burn for them 
so that they could have life. You know, I read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and if I'm honest with you, I'm like, good for, good for them. I'm glad Jesus burned in the fire with them because it makes sense. It makes sense. They deserve it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were faithful. They stood up to a king. They didn't bow. They did the hard thing. But you know what doesn't make as much sense to me? All the examples of people in the Bible who did bow, and Jesus still chose to stand in their fire. I think about Peter when he bowed to his fear and denied Jesus three times. I think about David when he bowed to his lust and slept with another man's wife and had him killed. I think about Paul who murdered dozens and dozens and dozens of believers and Jesus died for him. I think about the thief on the cross who lived his entire life and in his last dying breaths asked Jesus to remember him in paradise and Jesus did. I think about me. No offense, I think about you. And how many times I've bowed to the same sin, to the same temptation, to the same struggle. And that fact didn't cause Jesus to run from my fire. It was actually his greatest motivation to run to my fire. The Bible says, for the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross. You want, you want to know what the joy that Jesus had was? How do you have joy when someone is nailing you to an old rugged cross. Jesus had joy thinking about the fact that you would not be able to stand in your own fire and that he would be able to take it for you. The good news of the gospel is not that we clean ourselves up and come to Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus cleans us up and comes to us. The good news of the gospel is that we serve a God who died for us, who walked to a cross, who went into a grave. Three days later, he left that grave empty proving that even death is a liar through Christ Jesus. It's not that we cleaned ourselves up. It's not that our dish looked really good and we sprinkled in Jesus. No, 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 the entire dish is Jesus. The entire hope is Jesus. The entire point is Jesus. And if you do not know Jesus this morning, I promise you he is the missing ingredient to your dish. There is hope when we persevere. Sure, we are going to try to persevere every single day. We are going to try to get through some heat and get through some time. But the real hope this morning is that even when we do not persevere, there is a God who perseveres on our behalf. Will you close your eyes with me this morning? If you're here and you say, I really want to add Jesus to my life. I'd really like to accept the forgiveness and the hope of Jesus. Will you just slip up your hand wherever you are? Maybe you've done it before and you've kind of backtracked a little bit. Maybe you've taken Jesus out of the dish I see several hands. And today's the day that you're going to make him your focus. This is amazing. Several hands just went up. You can put them down. This is what I want to do. Um, I'm going to pray. And uh, I don't really believe that much in you repeating the prayer that I pray. Because there's power in my prayer. But there's way more power in your own prayer. 
And so uh, I'll just explain to you what I'm going to pray up here. I'm just going to pray that God would forgive me of the sins in my life, the ones I know about, the ones that I don't. I'm going to ask that Jesus would come into my heart, that he'd be Lord of my life, and that I'd follow him for the rest of my life. It's a really simple prayer, and when you pray it, it has really significant meaning. It means that you're saved immediately and eternally, where sin once abound, now grace abounds more. You're literally going from death to life in the person of Jesus. And so um, if you raised your hand, will you just pray as I pray? And if you didn't raise your hand, will you pray for the people that are making this decision this morning? Lord, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, our hope this morning is not in our willpower or our ability to cut sin out of our life. Our hope this morning is that you walked to a cross paying the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. God, there's another one in the fire this morning, and it is you. You chose us when we didn't choose you. In the middle of our biggest sin, in our biggest shame, in our biggest disappointment, you thought us worthy of your love and of your grace, and you chose to die for us. This morning, we're thankful that you died. We're thankful that... You chose us, but God, we're even more thankful that you're alive, that you rose from the grave. And that hope, knowing that you're alive, means so much to us today because we know that we have the opportunity to have not just life on this earth, but eternal life. God, we thank you for your grace. Come into our hearts, forgive us of our sins, be Lord of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.